Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by trichologist Claire Fulham, chatting all things hair loss. I remember then going, I'm losing a bit more hair. Like, I could see hair everywhere. It was all over my desk and work, everywhere. So I went to my GP. She found five big patches on my scalp, one the size of my fist. So I was like, right, what am I going to do about this? Give me a plan. She just looked me dead in the eye and said, there's nothing you can do. I went on list for dermatologists. She had a cancellation and she very quickly said, yes, you have alopecia areata. As ever, available on all podcast platforms. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is the Rugby World Cup on the Left Wing. After seven weekends of World Cup rugby, there are just two teams left standing. This Saturday night in the Stade de France, the All Blacks will take on the Springboks. And not only is the William Webb Ellis Trophy up for grabs, so too is the position as the most successful team in the history of the tournament. On the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast, we will be looking ahead to the big game on Saturday, reflecting on the semi-finals and talking about plenty more in between. Will Slattery here with you. I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Rory O'Connor over in Paris. Jonathan Bradley will be joining us in just a couple of minutes. And Rod, I might go to you first as the man over in Paris, you were there for the semi-final weekend. Um, obviously, with the absence of France, Ireland being out, maybe slightly different to what we had expected and hoped for. How would you kind of describe how the weekend unfolded, just being over there? Give us a little bit of a flavour of what that was like. Yeah, it was um, It was very different. It was a very different feeling at the Games. And someone, in fairness, made the point to me that like the weather isn't as good as it was when Ireland and France were here as well. So in and around the stadiums, there's less... I suppose appetite for kind of gathering early and kind of you know people being at the bars around the grounds, but certainly going to the Stade de France certainly on Friday night, it didn't feel like anywhere near as big a, a, of an event. Um, there wasn't the same buzz as there have been at all the Ireland games, and um, certainly the France games, the two France games I attended there as well. They just there was this massive buzz through the city in Paris. I'm sure you've been there for Six Nations game. Paris, like the atmosphere, often gets lost because it's so big. Paris and London, you get that. Whereas when Ireland were here and when France were in a big game, you you had it across the city. And in fairness, the South Africans um, are, have brought that as well. There's been a huge number of them over creating an atmosphere as well. So Friday was just a damn squib. There wasn't that many New Zealand fans there. There was pockets of Argentinian fans within the stadium, but like you know. It was a lot of neutral fans, a lot of French fans, a lot of Irish fans that made the trip, having bought tickets, you know, in the hope that Ireland would be there as well. Um, and it was a, it was a poor enough spectacle. Obviously, New Zealand played some decent stuff, but as a game, as a contest, it was nowhere near what the previous Friday and Saturday had, or sorry, Saturday and Sunday had delivered in the quarterfinal weekend. And New Zealand got the job done, obviously, but because there's so few of their fans over here, and and the fans, New Zealand fans, by their nature, are not that. Um, they don't generate great atmospheres at games either. It's not. Um, it's just the, the, the way they, they they follow or they they do things in, in 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 the stadiums. It just never really got going. Whereas Saturday was a proper event, a proper spectacle. Again, before the game, it wasn't the same kind of congregations around, but it was lashing rain, so it's kind of you can understand a bit more. But once we were in there, and once the game unfolded, and once it became a real live prospect that England would you know could get there. Um, they didn't have as many fans over as you maybe would expect England to have in a semi-final in France where they can get there by train, by ferry, by, by, by you know, um, certainly there was no sense of momentum and late, a late flurry of people trying to get over. There was a lot of French in the stadium, a big South African contingent. But once they got going, there was a great atmosphere in the ground and it was a, it definitely wasn't as high quality a game as the previous week, then, but it was a proper contest and it went down to, you know, it was, I guess the, of the four games I've been to in the last two weeks, three of them have gone down to injury time with one team trying to get a score, which really is all you can ask for out of a contest in many ways, regardless of how you get there. If the, if it's live in the, in the final uh, um, kind of few moments, that's pretty good. And like that was a proper game and a proper atmosphere. And it was, it was really, it was, it was great to be there for it. So that's kind of how it unfolded. Certainly, I you know, even the French reaction to Ben O'Keefe and their interjections and these defiant renditions of the Le Marciers, um, there's a mutinous feel to them. I don't think they're really, like, they're still 
annoyed about how they've gone out and they're not that I don't think they're not uh, I don't know it wouldn't be a positive uh, relationship with the tournament anymore but they're still coming and they're, they're getting they're making the atmosphere in their own ways which is kind of weird so it's uh, it's been very different yeah, it's a good point you make about you know how uh, it can get lost a bit in Paris and London because of the size. Because I agree with you, like the weekend I was over for the quarterfinals, Irish fans everywhere. Like no matter where I went in Paris, you know, doing a bit of sightseeing by the you know Eiffel Tower or whatever I was doing, there was loads of Irish jerseys and even South African romantic music. photos with with respective other halves, etc. Very et romantic photos, yeah. Right, that's, that's a key part of going to Paris, Luke. You know, I, I, I had to make some concessions to get over there for the weekend. Uh, even bumped really into annoying. couldn't get a good snap of me and the misses with all the Irish jerseys around the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i saw peter stafford toy was going for a walk by the eiffel tower with his uh with his wife as well so i was in good company um but yeah it was a good point you made like it, it was there was a, and south african fans too to be fair to them Rula, i agree with you i was seeing low south african jerseys all across the city as well so they have come in great numbers they'll obviously be there on saturday night um rugby wise luke from the weekend the south african England game was fascinating you know it was kind of best case scenario for me in the sense that we got a very compelling semi-final, but we still get the, the final that we kind of want, the blockbuster the matchup in the final. The way it unfolded, like, England's approach, it got them so far, but not quite far enough. Like, what, what's your kind of analysis of how the game unfolded and why why it ultimately ended the way it did? Um, You know, I'd say the weather conditions, you know, you, you can't really... I don't think I can go on and say that, um, you know that wasn't a major factor in why the, the match was so close. Uh, so I start off there. I think that made defending things an awful lot easier. And England have really struggled to, to, to prize teams apart in attack. We know that's still a struggle for them. But um, leaving that aside, I mean, the defensive effort was excellent. I thought they kicked brilliantly. Um, I thought Freddie Shore coming back in was a smart decision. And it worked well with those conditions as well because South Africa were going to go to the air too. Um, and um, I thought their, their, their line-out defense particularly the mall defense was outstanding throughout the game. So they, they kind of nullified a lot of South Africa's big weapons um, and they kind of attacked them in key areas. And again, the defense was brilliant in a day when, you know, uh, it, it was always going to be difficult to, to break teams down with kind of with, with running rugby, you know. So um, that was probably why I think the game was so close. But you have to give credit. I mean, I thought they were very well organized. I think Borthwick looks like he's probably justified um, you know, keeping him on at least for, for another year or two, I think, to give him time with the project. I think he did mention the age profile uh, of his guys. And there is some young guys in that team too. So um, I was quite pleased for him. I think he's come in, like the, they've come under an awful lot of scrutiny. And rightfully so, they haven't been playing great rugby. But I don't think also he's had great amount of time and he's had this kind of pressure of the World Cup in the background. Uh, plus, I think Eddie Jones left him with an absolute bag of... I'm going to say excrement because we're 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 li- we're we're live here. But yeah, I think he left him, you know, with, with a really difficult situation. And um, I was pleased for him. I'm pleased for the group who've taken a lot of stick that they put in a big performance in the semi final. And really, they probably should have won the thing. Um, and we'll go into a little bit of you know, into that a little bit further. But on the other side of the coin, I think Rassi again got bailed out of some bad selections. Um, you know, I think Pollard coming on after 35 minutes, like what was he doing off the pitch in the first place? That that never makes sense to me. Um, and um, yeah, that that to my mind was was probably the difference in the game. Even though Libok didn't miss a kick when he was on, it just wasn't a day for him. And I just think he's not. Pollard is a is a is a polished international out half, and that is that is there is such a thing as that. Uh, he's got the experience, semi-final of a World Cup, madness to have him sitting on the bench. So um, the situation called for a drastic, you know, rethink. Um, and um, yeah, I'd say he was he was lucky enough that that didn't happen later in the game, that it wasn't closer because I think the game could have got away from them, particularly when they got that yellow card uh, without Pollard on the pitch. He just kind of calmed things down, I thought. Even though he, he wasn't unbelievable in the rest of the game, I just thought there's a proper international out half, in, in my opinion. So um it was a great day. I was it was enthralling. Uh, I was really good for the English guys, but I do think it, to to tie off the points, South Africa New Zealand is definitely the final that we wanted after those two quarter final wins by the teams. It's it's the best game possible, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as I said at the start of the show, the winner gets to take their place as the only four time champion. Uh, does far, Jonathan, delighted to have you with us as well. Um, Luke touched on it there. Like I do feel like you know South Africa, great team. Great coaching staff, very innovative. But I feel like they're playing catch-up from some bad selection decisions when they initially picked their squad. Like and A lot of the things that have gone right for them, not a lot, but some of them have been them bailing themselves out from bad decisions they've made. Like I think, you know, as Luke touched on there, the out-half decision was was a big one. 
you know, the hooker decision could really come into focus this week. Obviously, the the kind of Imbanambi Curry thing is still being decided upon. We'll see what happens there. But as good a team as they are, I do think they've been a little fortuitous in certain aspects of, of their match to the final as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's been an awful lot of things that could have blown up in their face that didn't quite, you know, we talked for, I suppose, months before the tournament about the, about the goal-kicking issue. It really only has cost them against uh, against Ireland so far, which they will say is a game that didn't really matter, which is true, I suppose, given that they're in the final and, uh, and Ireland aren't. Um, the hooker thing is, again, I mean, it bubbling along since, uh, since Malcolm Marks was injured. We saw the initial struggles in that game at the set-piece as well, which... Um, you know, you didn't have the option of uh, of changing it at hooker in the same way that you had the option of changing it at out half when it wasn't working, and really in lots of other positions as well. Because there was uh, whatever you think about the validity of the substitutions, the success of the substitutions, or even whether the substitutions are hiding errors in selection from uh, the initial run on team. The thing about them was they were brutal in the way that it seemed like two mistakes and you were gone. Like, you know, there was no uh, room for sentiment there beyond Libic, you know. I think taking Manny Lebock out of the game wasn't surprising given everything that has gone on around the out-half position for them. But, you know, to bring off Etzebeth, who is probably the best lock in the world on form at the minute, like after so early in the game, we sort of got used to seeing them take Khaleesi out. But, you know, Edzabeth, uh, I think it was a knock-on he had, I think, uh, just before, and then he's gone. Um, so to change so much of the team and just so, I suppose, the key components of the team on the fly, like, but it's one of those things where because it works, Erasmus isn't getting any flack for it, and I suppose... He would say, why should he? But the fact of the matter is that if you're having to make that many substitutions on the fly, it does speak to potential errors in your initial selection. Like whether whether it be Pollard or whatever, like they didn't pick a team to play the conditions and they didn't pick a team, I suppose, to counter what England were always likely to do. The interesting thing next week or sorry, this week for the final is going to be that probably the team that they put out there against England is better suited to playing New Zealand than the one that finished against England. But, you know, what do you do with the likes of Lubbock now, who uh, you've presumably dented his confidence to such a degree that you have to start Pollard, even though theoretically the type of team and game that you were going out there against England and almost thinking that England were going to let you play that game and the conditions we're going to let you play that game is actually far better suited to this weekend. Yeah, it's a really interesting selection debate you raise. I want to bring in Rudd now, because Rudd, I don't think I'm misrepresenting you if I say that. I think you feel that Razzie and Jacqueline Naber and the Spazlovin coaching staff, you've been maybe more on board with some of their left field thinking than myself and Luke Cad just you know, talking to you off air and stuff. But what's your assessment of, of what we've just been touching on in the last couple of answers? I like, it's, it's, winner, it's winners writing the history, isn't it? I mean... You can flip the Libok Pollard thing and say, what a brave coaching call to take off your starting out half after half an hour. I do think Pollard, because he's coming back from an injury and has played very little rugby in the last six months, they're not sure he can go 80. And they want to have him on the pitch to kick that penalty at the end rather than have, you know, replace him with Libok. They, they see him at the moment. Like if, if he was fully fit, they and maybe he is now, maybe after doing 50 at the weekend, maybe they start him because it allows them to bring another. And forward onto their bench because they can go six two if they start with Pollard. But um, I they were a bit panicked on Saturday. I I, I like watching them from from our vantage point, seeing Felix Jones kind of scurrying down the steps to get the message to their subs to go and warm up, seeing Razzie patrolling the touchline like a GA manager, you know, just before half time. You know the the conflab that I think a lot of people picked up on in the in the coaches box where they were all turned their back on Ninaber and and Razzie's kind of addressing them all, but like. I do think the way they structure their bench it works for them. You know, they they are always stronger at the end of games than the the opposition. Even when Ireland beat them, they they had a mall on the five meter line, and they had, you know, that it didn't work out for them. But they even learned from that. Like the way the way they scored their try it was a very similar situation in the same corner. And instead of going to the mall, Dion Furry carries unbelievably well, and they um, Orgy Snyman goes over, and they have incredible. Like Snyman would start every other team at this tournament, um, and there's a few others on that bench who who probably 
in the olden days would have started, but now they they are they see that they want to finish with their best team. And, and I and I do look. I think South Africa were, were absolutely on empty going into this game on the ba- on the back of the France game. I see this as a massive missed opportunity for England because I thought I think South Africa made a mistake by starting the same team again. They should have rotated the squad if Etzebet was. Etzebet just never brought the energy that he normally brings. So I think that's a mistake. They have made mistakes along the way. But then there's some of the stuff they do is really interesting. I, I think from an Irish rugby point of view, what they're doing with Dion Fury and Bongi Ambanambi, we're seeing Ambanambi and Jamie George going 80. Um, so you have a starting hooker and you have a replacement hooker. So Ireland have two of the best hookers in the world. Do you have to bring them both? On, can you get them both on the pitch? Can you put Dan Sheehan on the bench and bring him on at six or eight for the last half an hour? And you, you have that energy from a different position. He doesn't have to scrummage. You know, it's, it's just a, like it, they're challenging the way we think about the game. And I like that. I like they're playing to their strengths. The the, the mark from the the uh, the scrum from the mark thing is like they've done it two games in a row. They've won a penalty from both scrums. You know, that that you can disagree with it, but it's interesting. Like you know, Luke obviously doesn't like it. But it is a tactic, and it's worked for them over two games now. Um, and it especially worked at the weekend. They wouldn't have won the semi-final had they not done that. Because with Idaru, they tried, got kicked in the previous one, and then they went for it. So, like, I, I'm really interested to see what Nienaber brings to Leinster and whether some of this stuff kind of bleeds into what, what, what he's doing there and what he challenges the way we think about stuff. But I think you're overall, to, just to sum up, like, they made mistakes at the weekend. But I did like the fact that they, they were willing to bring off Sack big players to fix those mistakes and get over the line and I, I think at the end of the day they've built a culture and they've built a, a mentality there that just seems so hard to break because most teams nine points down like with 50 minutes ago they look beaten but there's something within that team there's reserves within that team to get the job done by any means necessary and it's it's pretty impressive to watch you know they didn't play well on Saturday night but they they, they got there you know and that's that has to be like an incredible thing to be able to draw on as you go through a, a tournament like this. Yeah, Luke, do you want to come in there? Yeah, no, like I, I actually agree with like like a bit of it. I, I think, um, I think they are. You know, I do think they are challenging things. I, I do love that they're out the bo- out of the box thinking, brilliant. Like I lo- the the mark and the twenty two. I, I think is. I, I was less. I had less of a problem with the one on the weekend than I did in the one the week before. Like taking it. I, I still think it was too risky a play because I just but I just believe that referees don't really know that much about what's going on in the scrums and you're you're, you're down to an interpretation and they're getting the benefit of it because everyone thinks South Africa scrum is stronger than everyone's and it probably is but um it's still uh, there's lots of different opinions on on what happened out there whether that was a you know who was right who was wrong did the referee make the wrong call there and it was tricky slippy conditions so it was a risky call I think um but I, I didn't have as much of a problem with that one because it's in the middle of the pitch. In the five-meter channel, I, I, I rest my case on that one. It's about, like, he, they, they bite, they, like, Libok goes the week before for too much down the line, um, and France catch it. Like, he, he's only going to, like, if he's being conservative, he's only getting 10 or 15 meters on that thinking. Um, so, you know, it's a line out on your 10. I, so I'm going back to that because I got rinsed all week by the South African lads, and I couldn't remember I why I thought, well, so I was just I, having I, I couldn't remember why I thought it was a blooper, but I remembered when I because I had I had to go no I need to rewatch that because they did get the pen which I'd forgotten but it was the next one where Esmet got the yellow card. Anyway, leaving that aside, I get that, got that off my chest. I do think they have the best resources out of all of the teams, and that is the key point here because it probably means that. They can, if they're fluid in their thinking, which they are, and they will, they, they rectify mistakes quickly, which is definitely a skill. Um, they have the resources to, to bail themselves out. And, and that's the key thing with this. South Africa have the best team. They've got the best amount of good players, um, I think, out of everyone to select from. And that's the kind of key point with this South African thing. And that's why I think they're probably not as good as, 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 they, as everyone is saying they are. Um, but their player group definitely is as good as everyone thinks it, thinks it is, and and I think that's probably why they're they've been they've been able to get away with it a little bit. Um, but I do like there's definitely some some new thinking there on lots of different areas, and um, you know I would say the most impressive thing watching from a distance with the South African management is definitely the man management because they seem to be able to take guys off. Like to my mind, Etzebet's probably the second best player in the world after uh, Dupont at the moment. Um, when he's got when he's fully charged up, uh, and I think he didn't seem to have that much of a problem with going off in forty five minutes. And I bet you 
Libok won't have a problem too. I, th- th- that seems to be Rassi's biggest skill to me is he's able to do these things to big players for the benefit of the team. And they all seem to be rowing in the same direction. No one is sulking. No one's on the bench not cheering for the team. And it seems to be kind of genuine, I think. Um, and that, to my mind, is the biggest skill of this of this South African management team is that they seem to have the squad all pulling in the same direction. Even if they make mistakes, guys are keen to get in and help the team. And guys, have, you know, if, if guys are if the coaches think someone's not the right guy to get the team over the line at the end of the game, they don't seem to be sulking on the bench. I don't think you could say that about lots of other teams, big players. And, and that seems to be a real skill they have. So just on that point, that's probably what I think about the, the management team anyway. Yeah, and just to that point you make at the end about, you know, rowing in the right direction, to give uh, Rudd a bit of credit, his question to uh, Sia Khaleesi to sum up Jack Nienaber's uh, contribution after the game at the weekend. He kind of spoke a lot about the man management skills of Jack Nienaber, how he cares about, you know, the lads as people rather than just as rugby players. And, you know, what Rudd was saying there, that like Razzie seemed to be doing a lot of the coaching during that game. And I was texting you about it, Rudd, being like, what actually is Jack's role in terms of, like when he comes to Leinster, are we going to see a lot of this left field thinking or is he kind of just there as the head coach, but Razzie is ultimately dictating everything? Like, it's an interesting one. To, it's hard to know from the outside. I think they're a partnership and I think Razzie is the kind of, the, Razzie is the manager and Jack Nienaber is the head coach and Nienaber, his former defence coach, is a strategist. He's a thinker. He's really close to the players. He... Probably is the softer edge of Razi's uh, of Razi's sword, and Razi is the more. Um, He's definitely he definitely looks more erratic personality wise. <laughs> <laughs> like Razi, Razi's just a big character. Like I think, like Razi dominate. I think any organization Razi's in charge of when he's in the room, people defer to him, and that's just the way he is. And and Razi's a good coach as well in his own right. Like his record is very good, but I think Nienaber is is the like he's come up with that defensive system is one he designed and. Um, it's the players absolutely swear by him and, and and what he brings, and the lads at Munster who I've spoken to about him have, um, have incredible time for him as a coach. I mean, when I asked the Eclisi that question, I was thinking about maybe a, a quiet feature down, you know, Wednesday, Thursday. You know, what will Jacqueline ever um bring to bring to Leinster? I wasn't expecting that it would basically be a gift to every rugby Twitter or Instagram account across the world. Like you know, <laughs> the like it was a three minute. So look, it was like a best man speech rather than a, an answer to a press conference. So it was really like Akhilesi so impressive, and like I, there was a, I think it was a real genuineness to what he was saying as well. I think he really feels that way about Nina. Already been working together since they were eighteen. Um, so what he brings to Lancer is, is, is I think he's he's a brilliant rugby mind. He's different to. Lancaster, I think he's different to Leo Cullen. He's different to anything Lancaster have had before, and that's good. Like I, I like the fact that they're challenging their own. Like they've been such so successful week to week anyway, maybe not in terms of the trophies they've brought home and at the end of the, the sharp end of the season the last couple of years. Maybe they need it a bit of something different, a bit of rootlessness, a bit of South African um that those qualities that we see in that Springbok group just to kind of get them over the line. I don't know, but there is also a risk that you're bringing in the finest mine in South African rugby for two or three years and he brings home all your ideas in a couple of years time as well. There's there's always that uh I mean you speak you hear these people speak about South Africa and how much they love it, how much they 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 it means to them to play for the Springboks or manage the Springboks. Um, it's going to be t- tough for him to leave that environment. Yeah, I saw someone point out at South Africa on Twitter that Leinster went with a six-two split at the weekend. You know, was it coincidence or did Jack have a have a word with uh, with Leo? But I think uh, they've done it a couple of times before. To be fair, Jonathan, you know the scrum issue is something I want to discuss with all of you. Um, obviously. Kind of Matt Williams' comments on Virgin. I don't know if you would have gotten them uh, up there, like in terms of oh, the scrum is too influential. Should the scrum have? They have the internet in Belfast, will. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, try try as we may, we can't avoid these things. <laughs> Matt Williams crosses all borders. Matt Williams cannot be contained. He's not in this Former Ulster coach Matt Williams to give him his full uh, title. Well, I'm sure people have seen it. But anyway, Matt Williams is kind of making the point that the scrum is too influential. You know, the, the penalty is too big of a kind of a reward for a go forward scrum and too big of a penalty for a scrum going backwards. What, what's your take on the whole debate? Are scrums too influential in deciding games? Do, you know, should that be looked at or, or are you happy with the way things are? I think it's mad. Like, and I, I don't want to like single out. Um, Matt Williams because it wasn't just him like the discourse on this around um, social media and stuff which essentially boiled down to my team lost because of scrum penalty so I'm upset so let's get rid of the scrum like I just think it's nonsense because what the, what makes rugby unique so what are the parts of rugby and the elements of rugby that you don't get in other sports and the scrum is a big one 
I think a huge part of it is like the narrative around the scrum. So if you think about across other sports, like you would never get people going on TV as experts or analysts and saying, that's not a part of the game that I have any idea about. Like that only happens in rugby and it only happens in the scrum where people are like, oh, it's the dark arts or it's not my area of expertise or whatever. Like that wouldn't happen in any other TV broadcast, TV sporting broadcast. Jonathan, I, I was having this exact conversation with my barber last night. I was like, <laughs> I, oh, nice. I think I, I, I was, no, seriously, because it's such a good point that you make. I was literally going, I said to him, I was like, look, I don't know of any other sport where a, a person has played at the top level and literally played the game since I was five. My dad actually played in one of those positions. So I've been talking about it for years. I said, there's no other sport in the world where someone like me would have no idea about about that, about such a big part of the game. It's I, I, sorry, I had to say that because I was just having this conversation last night. It's it's mad, isn't it? Yes, but it, so it becomes this thing that like mystifies people, and then, but the idea that it's not entertaining or that it's not compelling viewing, I I don't understand that because the fact of the matter is that it's something unique to rugby that you don't have in any other sport. It's competitive it's a battle and it to me is what makes rugby this idea and you can say that maybe this is like a played out cliche or whatever but this idea that rugby is a sport for people of all sizes and shapes like you take that out of the game if you take away the scrum like in what other sport are we having oh well I suppose the second most important game to be played in a 48-month span, which a World Cup semi-final England against South Africa was. And at the end of it, you're talking about a player, Oxen Shea, who's made a whole life, uh, you know, built this image of solid stone win scrums. Like, that's not an athlete that we're talking about in any other sport after a game like a World Cup semi-final. But it's something that you can have in rugby because of the scrum and because of this specialised knowledge and specialised position. So I don't know why you would want to take away something from rugby that is unique to only rugby because then you're just making it more like other sports and if you make especially if you make it more like rugby league you're making it like more like a less successful sport like even the business model to me from that doesn't make any sense can, can i ask you though just to follow up on that like i think the the, the question well sorry my take from from it is probably that is there a case for you know where there's a where there's a little bit of uncertainty that um, you do go with the short arm and you take the free kick. Is there a bit of a case for that versus because and like sorry, I'm loath to include any more kind of layers for a referee to have to interpret on the fly in a game because it's just such a complex and technical game as it is. But is there a case for that where like because we're looking at it on Twitter, there's people breaking it down slow mo and going, oh, well, you know, actually, it looks like South Africa were around there. It looks like England were around there. And these are people who actually play the position, so-called experts, like having, you know, hours to dissect it or not hours, but like, you know, probably looking at something for 10 or 20 minutes, this scrum going like I saw Flatman describing it and he actually thinks the referee got it right. But he was saying, oh, you shouldn't look at the the, the satellite kind of look at a uh, view, but you should look at the side on view of the scrum. And that really tells a tale. So to my mind, that tells me like, how is the referee supposed to really ref that? <laughs> like, that's really difficult. And how is he so, how does he, why does he have to be so definitive on it? Why can't he say, okay, that's, that's definitely a pen. I can see that one. Or he goes, mm, do you know what? I think they have the edge. I think I'm going to give that a short arm. Is, is there any case for that, Jonathan? I just wonder, does that neutralize the point of it anyway? Because the free kick is so much less valuable than... Um, than a penalty anyway but I think what you're this, talking about all the guys are usually tied in there anyway, anyway Jonathan do you know what I mean if you think about when you take a quick tap off a scrum if if they were a little bit more lax about where the scrum half could take the tap from those eight, those 16 guys might still be in there is there any just, just to tie in that point just, just to say because I think they could probably sort that out yeah and I do think especially what you're saying about the sort of different angles of the scrum because I think that's something that gets completely lost in this discourse as well about how difficult it is to referee. Like, there's no value in looking at above angles because that's not the angle that the referee has. And the other fact of the matter is still shots again, the referee's looking at something that is, like, moving again. So that's pointless. And then you have to remember that the referee only has um, the view of one side. <laughs> so it's a, it's really, really difficult for the referee. But I just think that its value to the game is something that's worth 
persevering. It's it's worth trying to find a solution rather than this idea that we should just uh, decrease the importance of the scrum, which in turn will decrease the importance of prop forwards, which in turn changes the game massively more akin to rugby league in my mind. Yeah, Rod, like what's your view on it? Like I, I agree with Jonathan in terms of the uniqueness of it and the battle of it. But then as Luke makes the point, like some of the decisions when, if a scrum is going straight forward for 10 meters, everyone can kind of be like, oh, that's a dominant scrum. But when it's kind of going sideways, everyone's kind of scrummaging at angles and penalties are being given. And they're open to 50-50 interpretations, which I know a lot of rugby is like that anyway, but this seems to be even more magnified because as Luke and Jonathan said, it is an area that is probably the most inaccessible to, to someone coming to this sport. Like I can see why people are looking at it being like, is that, is that kind of a, a wor- is that a worthwhile punishment for the crime when it's very very hard to tell what's actually going on? Like uh, Ireland, New Zealand was, um, you know, majorly influenced as a game by scrum interpretations by referee and and um, it's funny that it's come up in the Irish discourse this week rather than then. You know, like if if Irish people were really going to get upset about you know scrum refereeing and all that sort of stuff, they would have probably done it that last week. I mean, I didn't come away from the Stade de France on Saturday night thinking about whether the scrum should be the de- you know devalued or depowered or or like it's only kind of subsequently that it be- became a topic um, on Virgin that it's become this thing and like it's caused me to think about it. But I mean, how many how many free kicks do you give before it's a penalty? So you know, if they give a free kick in that scenario to South Africa, what are they going to call? They're hardly going to put an up and under over. They're going to call another scrum. So they win, they win a penalty off the next one. Surely you can't keep giving free kicks. They had dominant. I mean, utterly, ultimately, they have they have a better eight for scrummaging and pr- better props on the pitch at the end of the game than England. They're using their resources appropriately and they're, they're playing to their strengths. And it's up to England to, to match that. And that's where I, like, I just don't see it as being a, an existential crisis. I think you can improve the scrum. You can set it quicker. You can tire those props out much more if you set this. You don't like, don't give them a two minute rest at every scrum. I don't really don't understand why it is that we all have to stand around waiting for these lads to get ready. Just do it. Get them ready. Like Saturday was a really slow game. I mean, I was more much more aggravated by the fact that England at every opportunity was were stopping the game. That someone would go down and take an e. Like the English medics spent more time on the pitch on Saturday night to Manny Libok. Like they were on at every break and play, and South Africa were doing it too as the second half went on. And you can guarantee they were getting messages from the coaches' box on, as well as they did it. I mean, that's that's like cut that stuff out. You know, if you have to limit it to one water break in a game, and no, 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 you're not on any other time. Fair enough. I don't know how you do it, but like it's like football when players, you know, goalkeepers are going down with head injuries to so that they can get tactically briefed halfway through games. It's it's it became it was so I hadn't seen it in any of the games I've been to subsequent or previously, but on Saturday night. Every time there was a break in play, an English player went down on, on one knee and they brought on play, uh, management and they brought on water. It was just breaking up South Africa's flow. That's a much bigger issue to me. Like the ball and play time is this stat that we get thrown at. And obviously Friday night's ball and play was much higher than Saturday's. And Saturday was a better game. But I think most of the time you want a higher ball and play. And one of the reasons the ball and play is so low is that we're spending so long, so long setting up scrums. So rather than depower them, just make them go quicker. You know, and like if the ball's at the eight feet, make get, get them to play it. Like I, I know that's a choice. You can keep it in and try and drive it, but like they've been better at that sort of stuff. I just don't see it as being a major. I, I it's become this talking point that I, I didn't anticipate. You know, sometimes these things crop up and they become these things. I don't see that as an existential threat. I think if you want to improve the game, go ahead with the scrums. Just make them pack down quicker. Look at like watch videos from from Luke's dad's time. They just basically bound up and scrum. You know, like it wasn't There was fifty or sixty a game though. <laughs> I know, I know. But like it but you, yeah. like, there's no reason I played in the position. There's no reason why binding and everything. It's just they're taking a break. Speed it up. That will make the game better. Yeah. It's really the, the last thing I'll say on it is like whatever about it, whether you disagree or agree with the point, like the people are hammering Matt Williams for suggesting it. Like yeah. that's good television. For me, that's a good talking point. Like he's it's entitled after, to his opinion. Yeah, of course he's entitled to his opinion, but like it's also good television and good talking points. There's a so, the amount of people on social media, rugby people on social media, who are the biggest twats. Like I you wonder what they must <laughs> their lives must actually be like when they're not tweeting absolute garbage, like because like Matt Williams saying that and the thing he said about the 7-1 split for me that's like interesting TV like what do they want these like an omatrons on television just spouting like but he, these that's buzzwords in, to my mind that's it's it's kind of in the South Africa kind of new thinking like you know trying to improve the game I, I, I agree with you I don't think he's there should be no problem with him trying to be innovative about you know how the you know why he what, what he'd like to see or what he thinks yeah. other people would like to see too I completely agree with but 
I mean, there's no point in delving into what's on social media. I think we all know what's there, you know? No, but these are from um, people. This is coming from people. It's not just coming from Twitter eggs. It's coming from people that, quote unquote, would have standing or, rep- you know. A lot be- of front rowers are, are kind of, were like, oh, whoa, hold on a second here. That's, that, that, that's got, that can't happen, you know? um but i like it's funny isn't it like i think there's 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 loads of things that you could do to to help out like you could reduce the number of subs um you know like not being able to empty your whole bench might might be something that could you know speed things up a little bit there you know as rory said rory said uh, said there i think the um the, the breaks and play and being able to how, how you stop the game um the scrum is actually a perfect time to do it because it's so specialist do you know what i mean like you can't just put someone in there because they get hurt um but other than that i thought i thought the same thing myself it was kind of ridiculous um how england were, 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 were kind of gaming it as well so there's loads loads of things that go on in their game that actually i think like even the offside line to me that they still haven't really resolved that and got major input consistently from um from touch judges i think that's a way bigger issue than the scrums and i completely agree i think if you take if you depower the scrum you don't get the bigger guys on the pitch the bigger guys aren't on the pitch then it's very hard to find holes when the game is quick, when you when you do get a quick game, because they're the guys that generally get exposed there. So, yeah, there's no way you want to see it going the rugby league way, you know, where you're you're having to take guys, you're having to reduce down the numbers from is it is it 13? I think in in, in league, isn't it? Like that's 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 the route you have to go to find to find space on the pitch if you start depowering the scrum. So I just don't really think that that's an option. It's um, just interesting. I think that the two arguments have become conflated somehow. Like. Because to my mind, it's ex- it's exactly what Rory says. It's like scrums aren't boring. It's scrum resets are boring. The time in between scrums is what's boring. But I don't think the issues with the actual set piece. People obviously have issues, as you're saying, like with the officiating of it. But I would struggle to see how anybody finds the act of scrummaging boring rather than as we say, those reset scrums and all this sort of faffing about in between. Oh, because was, at the end of the day, it was a where, fascinating you know element of Saturday. Thing. Do you know what might be a good thing, though? If So instead of, say, going to the short arms for, for some of the things, if people are slow to reset uh, scrums, give give a pen. That's, you know what I mean? You could start doing those kind of things. That would make the, that would really kind of sort things out there. You know, you just move them onto a new patch, you know, straight away. You know, if, there, if there's some kind of reset and you don't know who's on top or who's made a mistake, uh, move them onto the new patch. So they don't. They don't skip. They're not getting ready within fifteen seconds. Right, it's a penalty against you. Do you know what I mean? That I. I think that's that. That could be instead of depowering it, making it more powerful. You know, because a fitter, stronger pack would be able to take advantage of you. Um, you know, particularly if if the say South Africa have the big strong pack, you could move them along a bit more quickly. You know, and you could might be able to get a few edges in there, and make it more more competitive. So there's low. There's Problem is, there's, isn't there so many things to unpack with trying to figure out how you fix it? Like maybe, maybe there's nothing to fix. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Maybe that's just South Africa having a, you know, a strength. You know, England, England, you, England were very negative. Kicked the ball in the air loads in the weekend, but that was a strength for them. I thought they chased the ball really well. They made it really messy. That wasn't great to watch. I didn't think either. So, I don't know. You know, you play to your strengths, don't you? Yeah, Rod, to take it back kind of to an Irish angle or an Irish perspective. Obviously, All Black South Africa final. Saturday night, Ireland beating South Africa at this World Cup, came very close to beating New Zealand, which magnifies kind of the frustration of the opportunity missed. Like, you know, watching those two semifinals, like, and like Ron O'Gara was kind of writing about this last week, I thought about how big a chance this was missed. Like some of the coverage I haven't, I haven't agreed with. There's been kind of a, a very sanguine kind of outlook of it in, oh, they played, they played really well. They're very close in the comeback. They'll be back. You know, it's such a strong, you know, set up with the young players coming through. For me, this is a massive opportunity. Miss, this was a chance to win the World Cup, and everything I saw at the weekend really reinforced that. Like as I said, Ireland beat one of the teams; they've almost beat the other. I just, yeah, I don't really have a question. I'm just kind of like throwing all those points out to you and seeing what you think. I, I mean, I, I think this is it was a big opportunity missed, but I don't, I don't think they did it an awful lot wrong in missing it. You know, they 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 were beaten by the better team on the night in a, in a, what is being you know, looked at as one of the greatest World Cup games of all time and a team who have timed their run. And look, this is where you go back to your strategy and you go back to everything. I mean, New Zealand, who had a much easier draw, um, a much easier schedule, managed to time their best performance for the moment where they were under the greatest pressure. And And Ireland didn't. Ireland, who had a much more difficult pool, I think peaked in the Scotland game, actually. They, I think they brought their probably best performance against the team that probably didn't need to bring their best performance against and then couldn't back it up a week later. New Zealand didn't have to back up their performance a week later this time. They they, they emptied it against Ireland and then 
you know, they, they just had to show up last last Friday night. That was a, it was a desperate game. Whereas South Africa, I think we saw what France took out of South Africa. Like South Africa were shattered of themselves and nearly lost to the worst English team we can all ever remember, who played well on their emotional big emotional high. And I think if they'd held on, would have really struggled to back it up against the All Blacks with a day's less preparation. And I think I, I really think Ireland a couple of things on Ireland that seventy in a row actually means you're not fixing your, your the, the the mistakes you're making along the way. It if if you're winning, if you it, they should be more ruthless about it. But I think by nature of things, if you're winning, you're maybe not as ruthless in your analysis of the game. Look at what South Africa did. They were held up on the line by Ireland in the last play. This time they don't they don't go to the same play in the World Cup semi final because they know in the same corner they've been through it. You know if we get held up, we don't get the ball back. You know it, it, it's it's not a you know you're better off peeling off. You know if if the Ronan Keller hold up had happened against South Africa, maybe he doesn't peel off the next time. They're learning as they go. Um, I think Ireland weren't as ruthless in their interrogation in those 17 wins as they would have been if they'd lost one along the way. Um, but I do, and, and I think O'Gara made a good couple of points in, in his examiner column. But at the end of the day, if you go back on the cycle and you go back on, you know, I they did not didn't do an awful lot wrong across four years. They they did most of the things that we would have wanted them to do. They just didn't have enough depth in certain positions. Didn't have enough faith in their bench. And at the same time, they were so close. And had they gotten, had Kelleher dotted down and, and they held out, we wouldn't be thinking about it this way. And that's that's why I've been reasonably sanguine about it because it was, you know, you lose big games sometimes. You lose big um, yeah. and, and I think great games sometimes. To, to tie in with that as well, like, you know, if you, the, New Zealand's run is perfect because the time of the tournament is great for Southern Hemisphere teams. You know, if you don't have like a really hard group to get out of, um, you know, you're you're just kind of tweaking. Like they've they, these guys have been together for now. It's that's a challenge too that that they're together for a long period of time. But you're not trying to play. You've you've kind of been playing recently enough. Like the last time all the Northern Hemisphere teams played was kind of Feb, March. You know that that kind of period of time. So you're kind of trying to find form. So you have everyone was kind of giving out about Farrell having to play the team and the minutes the guys had to play. The guys had to play those minutes because they had to play themselves into into rugby fitness. Um, you know, whereas the New Zealand guys tapering for them was actually probably a good thing. You know that kind of way they they had figured, and as, and as Rudd said, I think that that point about the France game that really helped New Zealand. It simplified things for them. You know what I mean? They needed to sort out their rook ball. They needed to get you know their their defense. I think has been really rock solid. They look like really clear and you know and about what they're trying to do there. They really figured something out in, in that respect. And it looks like they had a chance to get a bit of confidence back into that attack after what was a really stuttery one against France where if you look at the the difference in the ball handling um for New Zealand against Ireland that you know bar the first like kind of 5 minutes I just thought they were way more accurate than they were against France there was they were a complete mess so they got to fix kind of three areas I think Rudd said and and like if you think about Ireland as well I think another reason why they didn't get lambasted was because um you know, I, I think they got a bit unlucky with some injuries as well. Like Henshaw, you know, Ryan and, and Keen Healy were pretty unlucky. You know, I think that that would have helped quite a bit, I think, in that game. Um, you know, and I think what's probably got overshadowed, you know, I, the, the other point I agree with Rudd's on, pretty much repeating it here, but I just think in, in the Scotland one, I think everyone thought they'd fix the line out, but they pretty much went to two all day, didn't they? Like I thought, that really got exposed against uh, against New Zealand. That's something that I think that that probably oversh- overshadowed some of the other issues that Ireland had in the game. Um, and I think because they played so well in open play, I think everyone was kind of that was because I think that's probably a harder thing to deliver. Uh, maybe in hindsight, no, but I, I think it's harder to deliver those skills. And I thought they did those things brilliantly well. They just got exposed at at, at the set piece, really, you know. And some big defensive mistakes, which probably didn't get really exposed against uh, against the Scotland team. They just really weren't able to do it. So there's a load to unpick there. But I, I do think, you know, you have to look at it overall and say, well, look, there was a lot of things that kind of worked against Ireland at that one particular moment. And at the end of the day, it was like it was 17 in a row is still unbelievably impressive. Um, and, and I think it was always going to be really hard Um without some kind of negative feedback somewhere along the way to go, mm, do you know what? There's a real issue there and that could really stop us against a team that we're going to be pretty close in ability with. Jonathan, anything you want to add from an Irish perspective? Like the lads have brought up some interesting points there. Yeah. The uh, the thing is that I agree with what, what both of you are saying, but I do wonder if you're talking about ruthlessness, would that type of ruthlessness be not be 
applying a forensic eye to what you could have done better. You know, like if you look back to 2019, there was this massive appetite afterwards for the for the review and what was going to be uh, what was going to come out of the review, and there was really this uh, huge public discussion about what the results of this review were going to be. And I think if you talk about New Zealand and you talk about South Africa, and I'm not saying that Ireland aren't going to do this, but I think those rugby nations and countries with that psyche wouldn't come out of a World Cup where they lose a quarterfinal and just think, well, a few things worked against us. I think those types of countries would still be applying that uh, that forensic eye and looking at what went wrong and what they could have done better, what they should have done better, because what you're saying, Will, about everybody being quite sanguine about the whole thing, um, that wouldn't fly in South Africa, that wouldn't fly in New Zealand because there's no acceptable way can, to lose a quarterfinal there. Can I ask you just to that point, so what if, if Ireland get that, that mall try, and New Zealand lose that game. And like in fairness, 95 out of 100 times, three forwards breaking off two meters to the line, a hooker shouldn't get held up by a first set. Like it's, it's it was, it was, I, I think they were pretty lucky to get out of there. Um, I, I personal opinion, I know they were very good, but that should have been a try. Um, what happens if they lose that by one point? Like, do they kill themselves? Do you think they get killed? They've already changed their coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, but do they? Seriously. So, okay. Well, 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 hey, if I can come in on that one first, like Ron Nagar made the point that Ron Callagher's decision making there, he said was kind of indicative of kind of a white line fever or a knockout rugby fever throughout the game. He said that the reason that chance wasn't taken stemmed kind of was kind of a, a broader kind of point from the performance generally that. Well, like, like no one's saying we should, that the RFU shouldn't do a thorough and forensic review of everything that's happened in the last four years no one's saying you shouldn't learn from this and get better that you should like no one's saying stand still it's, it's all grand i'm just i mean it's not a situation where you would go you know call for andy farrell's head on the back of losing a game by three or four points i think it's kind of it's calm rational analysis of what's gone on and like that's the thing it's not like it's not like four years ago four years ago was a record defeat in the quarterfinal it was a massive non-performance a complete no-show they were scoreless in that game for 68 minutes they were terrible all of them reserved one of their worst performances for ireland for the biggest moment i mean i don't think you could say that about a, a team who found themselves 13 nil down and yes you look into all the reasons you find yourselves 13 nil down but they managed to be to battle back from that position and then they went for went, went, went they, they got close and then they got knocked back again and they came back and they they went through 37 phases at the death of huge accuracy to get to that point with massive fatigue and i just don't understand how you could say how how you could kind of heavily criticize them over over that i, I think you you review it calmly and you look and you say yes it was a massive opportunity yes they'll have massive regrets but I don't see the value in hammering them over because I don't think it's a hammerable for want of a, who's a better hammering? phrase. Like, uh, who, oh, you seem to want us to hammer them. You, you, no, you I, don't want, want take, I don't want take anyone it easy, to hammer them. Have a heart, would you, for God's sake? No, see, I, I think it's more, and even if you go back credit. to the conversation that we had last week, I don't think I don't think any of us are actually arguing opposing points. I think we're actually just arguing adjacent points. Like, I don't think any of our opinions is actually diverge that much like I think we can all probably sit here and say Ireland got the World Cup this 7 out of 10 and I don't think it's like you know 4 years ago where you're coming back saying the World Cup was a 2 or 3 out of 10 you know Will I wants think... the players to re- refund his ticket to Paris and he wants Andy <laughs> he wants Farrell in stock but I do think that there is something to be said as well for like reflecting on why you had a good and not great performance or why you were beaten by a team that while the opposition played really well, that we all believe that Ireland were going into that game as a better team, which the evidence of that is the fact that every one of us predicted that Ireland were going to win. But I like I don't think we're all as far apart on this as uh, as maybe it sounds like we are. I think yeah. it's I just think that Ireland are getting more credit for coming back from 13-0 down than they are people questioning why they were 13-0 down in the first place. That's just my interpretation of having read and listened to a lot of coverage since the game. Like I feel like they're getting more credit for getting almost there than they were for saying, well, well hold on a second. We were saying you know, this Ireland team... They should have won the game without playing well. They still, like... 
they put themselves in the position to win that game, even though they didn't play well. Like they got refed off the park on the, uh, and, and, and then he might've been right by the way at the scrum. But is that a and good thing or should we be saying, why didn't they no, play no, better? I'm just saying, right. So, so you're going to have games, you're playing against good teams. Not everything is going to work for you. That That's, you know, they're going to do some good stuff too. Um, and no one's sorry disputing that point. I'm just saying it's an obvious thing to say, but it should be said. So there are going to be points in the game where they're going to play well and you know you mightn't play so well. And that's probably look, the 13 points, I agree. That was there was some poor play in there. Like the first penalty is an absolute stinker, particularly when they, they got off to a very shaky start, like throwing passes everywhere, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and there was some bad play there, but they still got themselves in a position to win that game and probably should have won the game, Will. Like, there's a missed penalty. Now, I know um, I know Barrett missed a penalty too, so they kind of nearly kind of cancelled themselves out. But that that mall, that mall was, was definitely... We were in a position... We should have got that try. Like, I don't, I don't know, that seems to have been kind of brushed, uh, brushed over, like, in my mind, in some of the kind of discussions about the game. Like, for Foster to say that they were... He looked so smug and, and like comfortable after the game and say, oh, it was comfortable at 37 phases. Like, yeah, but you probably should have lost it. Like, Ireland really should have got that try. You should have been chasing the game at the end versus the other way around. So I, I think that's kind of an important point in all of this is, is that they probably sh- still should have won the game against a team that played very well. And I think that's probably reinforced my opinion to think that they probably were a better team. But look, on the day, um, like very fine margins. And that's probably why you give them a little bit of slack, I think, is that you have to give the others a bit of credit, but also, you know, they still should have won it even without playing well. And, and that, to my mind, is a sign of a good team, honestly. Well, well if it had happened in a semi-final rather than a quarter-final, do you, would you, and, and we covered it the same way, would you would you feel the same way? I would, because winning the tournament is is where my head is at. Like, obviously, the quarter-final thing is very annoying just because they've never gotten past it and you have to listen to all the, the stuff about it. But for me, it's about winning the tournament. As I said, the two teams in this final, Ireland could beat either of them. I, I really, I, I know that. So, the fact that they didn't deliver, and they reserved one of their, I would say, off most off color performances of the last two and a half years for that knockout game. But if you like, if you played, I mean, this this, you know, if you played Ireland, sorry, Ireland's games between the four top four teams, if you played them all in a series across a, a, a league campaign, like they would knock each other off from on, on from time to time. It's and like Ireland had to do it more, uh, play play to their best more frequently in a shorter period. Than any of the other teams had to do it in, in the quarterfinal because they had to knock off the number two, um, two team or three. I can't remember what they were. South Africa and Scotland before they got to New Zealand, and they did it in a shorter period of time. And I do think that's very difficult to do. And I think if you replayed in Ireland, New Zealand at the start of the France on Saturday night, you could get a very different result. And I think you get a very similar game. Ireland could get out to thirteen points, and New Zealand would have to fight back. But I think they're capable of it as well. I think like you can't. You can only account for so much of your own performance. The other team will come and punch you in the face and it's how you react to that. And Ireland reacted very well on the night. Um, yes, they have to get greater depth. They have to have a loose head they can trust to bring on with 20, 30 minutes to go. They have to... I don't think you can be going 80 minutes with a 38-year-old at half in, in big games in the future. Like There are things they have to learn from it. But at the same time, I thought it was an honourable honorable way to exit a tournament. I think on the night... I, don't think, I actually don't think New Zealand would have been... Uh, ripped apart in their own media for maybe they would for coughing up a 13 point lead in a, in a massive game but the way the, the game was built beforehand Ireland were the favourites going into it so so um, like I I thought those two games were so close and so tight and, and that fine margins phrase that I hate is so applicable that um, yes review it yes go through it but I, I just don't see the need to, to rip into it I thought it was a you know they did a lot of things right on the night I just think you have to allow for the nuance of it, you know, like you can talk about performance anxiety and you can talk about pressure having an impact on a game without calling a team bottlers. And you can say that New Zealand played well and you can say that, as you say, Rod, the five margins went against Ireland while also looking at, as Will says, the fact that Ireland were not at the level that they have been over the last two and a half years in what was their most important game in the two and a half years. You know, I think an awful lot of the discourse around World Cups sort of gets almost catastrophized or there come, becomes this hysteria about it. And I just think the answer is in the middle ground because all of these things are true, essentially. Yeah, like I don't think that it requires a, a review of the four years saying picking all that part. Because I, I agree with Rudd. I, t- I wouldn't change the build up to four year period for me it's about how they delivered that specific performance 
and whether there was you know maybe some knockout will be not work up knockout anxiety that contributed to it that's that's where my head is at rather than some sort of ripping up I, of I, I think you review everything like you know it's the best yeah. resource no team you do really, you do but I didn't, in terms of, like it's the best resource team that's ever been sent from these shores to compete in any international competition and they didn't get what they wanted so you do go into it but you do it calmly and like you know independently like what will what will happen is that david nusifora will employ someone with, from within the rfu but certainly this is how he's done it in the last two work cups and at some stage probably just before christmas when now everyone's focus is elsewhere will be brought into rfu towers and he'll sit there with the review under his hand and he'll give us his interpretation of what the review was but we won't actually learn what it was and that's where like four years ago joe got the blame and then the mcnulty got the, the blame like that's 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 the, the official story of how Ireland lost at the World Cup four years ago. I can guarantee Andy Farrell's not getting the blame this time. So I I, I genuinely don't think the um, I think the review will be very sanguine itself, probably more sanguine than we've been. <laughs> that word is getting a great outing. I think I saw the word of the day calendar this morning, and Can't I've stopped just been, using it. Been pushing it <laughs> ever since. Um, okay, let, let's finish up just with, with a with a look. Towards the final, then Luke, just you know, a, a quick kind of glance at it. Like, who is in the driver's seat? You think it's already very close in the bookies. I think New Zealand are marginal one point favourites at the moment, but it it is set up to be a great game. I think it is. I think New Zealand have, have got their stuff together. Um, you know, I think. Um, you know, I still feel like they might struggle against that South African pack, particularly in the front row. Like I thought, Ireland would have a serious edge there. Didn't turn out to be the case. I thought they played brilliantly against Ireland, but I just think the South African team is just a different. It's a different challenge to to Ireland, I think, and they South Africa place more emphasis on it there. So I think they'll be targeting that, and they perceived that they're kind of perceived to be really strong in that front eight. So I think it'll be a very different out battle for them than it was against Ireland, even though I think they might be out as outmatched by, by both teams, pretend, like depending on obviously the Mbanambi thing. Um, I, I, I still think though, if the weather is kind of decent, I think New Zealand um, have a great chance. And I actually think they might be edging it slightly. I think the extra day of recovery might play as well. Um, I think it looks like some of the, the old heads as well, you know, their, their bench looks stronger than maybe I thought it was. Um, you know, I thought uh, Whitelock was brilliant. I don't know whether he starts or not, but he was brilliant, I thought, um, against Argentina. I'd say he probably will because, I mean, the line was so good against Argentina. Um, and um, I think their back line is really purring again. It looked to me like they've they've kind of simplified things down a little bit. And, um, yeah, no, and I think their kicking game as well. I think Smith is playing outstanding. So I, I'm going to say I'm going to say New Zealand by... Yeah, I think the, the the point sounds about right to me. It, it, this thing could obviously go either way. I think South Africa have had a bit more of a wearing trip through the tournament, and I think it might just be one one game too far for them. Even though that pack will cause massive, massive challenges for this New Zealand one, I just feel like I think I might have underestimated how good that New Zealand pack is. I think Kane is playing brilliantly. I think Sevilla is playing brilliantly, um, and I think that front row isn't as bad as I thought it was. Um, so I, I'm going to say New Zealand by a point. I, I, it's really difficult to call it, and um, you know you could make a strong case for South Africa either way. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight you on it either. But I just feel like the the rest might be the key thing here. Yeah, Jonathan, what, what's your view on it? Like you mentioned the selection issues for South Africa earlier, which is is fascinating. Like Luke's point about the buy-in and whether Lebok would would be you know willing to you know not willing or kind of mentally kind of able to just slot back in is an interesting one as well. Especially because if he doesn't get that buy-in, then what do you do? Because you don't want him to be on the bench if he's not going to start because you don't want him and his goal-kicking in the last minute of a game. So if you don't have Pollard to come on and kick that penalty as he did in the 70th minute against England, then what you do there becomes massively, massively interesting. I think the selection is going to play a big part in, uh, in this game. It's... Like it's fascinating to think about the different ways that Razi Erasmus and Jack Nienabar can go with this, especially because so many of the substitutes did come on and uh, make an impact. You know, even Oxen Che, like Oxen Che came on essentially won that game. Like, you know, do you start him? Do you have him on the bench? But I think, you know, speaking now before the t before we know the teams, I just think and I didn't think this would be the case at the at the start of the tournament, but I think that New Zealand are just coming in with more left in the tank like I actually thought that them playing France first up would actually work to their detriment because I thought I thought they would come into a quarterfinal undercooked but that obviously wasn't the case they well South Africa went to the bench early as well but 
Um, because New Zealand were able to, you know, bring a, an awful lot of uh, key men off in the 55th minute, they're going to be fresh. So they've got the extra day as well. So I just think that the way the tournament has panned out for New Zealand in terms of the schedule um, is enough of an advantage for them to overcome what I think is a in South Africa is a better team, but I think New Zealand are going to win. The, the tight games are more mentally taxing as well, I think, aren't they? Like, I, I, it's it's worth, probably worth mentioning that it's not just the less days. I think, like, the stress of that going down to the last minute, like, that takes it out of you as well, Will, you know, week to week, if you're in those kind of nail biters. So, just thought, sorry, I just thought I'd, I'd mention yeah. that because I think Jonathan makes a great point on that. I mean, South Africa have essentially played four, if you like, live games yeah. throughout this tournament with Ireland, Scotland. One, ma- one, one match of note that they've had to win, basically. You know, yeah. they've won one game and they're into the, into the final and they had a, a handy enough week last week. And South Africa not only have to have to play those challenging matches, but even just the kind of, you know, the injuries to the squad, the discourse from the out half, the hooker, like that's all kind of noise and stuff. Whereas New Zealand have had a fairly, you know, quiet tournament, you know, obviously getting that great win against Ireland. So, yeah, th- those kind of juxtapositions are interesting. Rudd, the Parisian correspondent, you'll have the last word then. Is that, are you still in Roland Garros? I'm back in Roland Garros. I've been here for a few days. I was just watching. They have basically rolling. Um, it's the same footage. I said the people who are here all the time must be sick of it, but they basically great World Cup moments. And I've just been watching Gianni De Beard dropping his five goals against uh, England at the Stade de France. And could Andre Pollard get to, get to that point on, on Saturday night? I wouldn't put just it Just to put it across the road. I remember when the draw was being made. No Irish. No Irish. Not, Do not we get side. in now? No, Is there another? No, do we get in no, for the next one, do you think? I'd say maybe uh, you might see some of the footage from Ireland, New Zealand, um, but it won't be it won't be favourable towards Ireland. <laughs> you never know. Like if South Africa do this, having played against uh, basically all of the other teams in the top four plus Scotland and England, like that's that's an incredible achievement. That's probably the, the, the hard. I know they didn't beat Ireland, but it's probably the hardest World Cup anyone's ever had. Um, and to come through with a one point win over France, a one point win over England, um, and then to beat the All Blacks in the final would be it'd be stunning. I do think they they've gone to the well a lot, and I'm not sure what's what what's left. And they kind of uh, dangled the selection change before the England game. It didn't go with it, but they put up Kane and Moody and, and uh, Esther Hazen in the media on the Tuesday, I think, and then they went with the same team again. I wonder did they regret that, and will they uh, pivot a little bit this week? Will they bring in Pollard to start and bring Jean Klein onto the bench for just a bit of extra beef on on that bench and go six two? You know, Faf. Do you think Faf has to come in? Like I think Faf is a better player, but then Faf has made like Faf has made the turnover in the last play of both games. Like this stuff of having your best players finishing is working for them, even though they seem like maybe you start them, you don't get yourself in a position where you yeah, need them to exactly. make that play. That's the other argument. So, you know, again, it goes back to that thing we were talking about at the start. Like it's been, you know, it's the victors right in the history. I think New Zealand have way more in the tank, but they don't have as strong a bench. It's certainly in the tight five. I don't think. Tamari Williams has been good in the knockouts. I didn't think like he's a massive man, but he's very inexperienced, and I didn't think he was this good. And I wonder if you get him up against a Vincent Cock or a Trevor and Kayane, w- will he be able to handle that? You know, and, and it's not just Inche and Cock and 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 Bongi and Manambi. It's the power coming through the second rows as well, and all eight scrummaging together. That's a really difficult thing to handle. And like New Zealand were smarter than Ireland at the scrum, but they weren't better than them. Like they they were, you know, they got a couple of dodgy enough penalties they were they, they manipulated the picture that was being shown to Wayne Barnes and they got the result and that's a big reason why they're at this this point but they're not a great scrummaging team South Africa are a much better scrummaging team and um, the familiarity is a big thing they play each other all the time they know each other really well you know it's 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 the oldest rivalry in in maybe not the oldest but it's the most storied rivalry in, in international rugby and um New Zealand got one over them in in the game in the rugby championship, and then South Africa obliterated them and twicking them. But I don't see that happening again. I think it'll be it'll be tighter. I think I'm leaning towards New Zealand, um, based on their freshness and their schedule, because I think South Africa have just had a lot taken out of them. But God, you're going to have to work work hard to beat them because they're just never gone. Will last man? Uh, yeah, I actually do New Zealand as well. Are we going for New Zealand clean sweep? That seems Jesus dangerous. That worked out well last time, didn't it? <laughs> that seems very dangerous. All of a sudden, like I think I think South Africa are a better team. Yeah, I agree. But, with that. but I think New Zealand. I think the schedule. What we've learned over this tournament is the best team doesn't necessarily win. The team who's had the easiest schedule often helps along the way because England are nowhere near South Africa, but because they had a. They hadn't played a game at the World Cup, really. Like they, they were able to time everything for that semi-final yeah, performance. Weather and a good weather and a good kicker for a crap team, like that always helps. And and like they didn't have to exert themselves to get to that, that point. Drop like, from, that drop goal from Farrell, like we, we're not talking oh, about that, but Jesus, we should have been like that. That how they, if, you know, 
how they kind of blew that opportunity. But what a, what a semi what a semi final he had for a guy who's been under under the cosh for a while. Um, yeah, to be fair, a lot of the English stalwarts did stand up. Like I told you, had his best game. I thought oh, like, Courtney Laws. I thought was brilliant. Kind of got lost to, to kind of into the ether now that they lost. But I did think, to be fair, some of the guys that you'd be wondering where they've been for the last couple of years, I thought gave him gave massive shifts. So who you're in New Zealand? Clean sweep for New Zealand is the call, is it? I thought that, but now I'm kind of doubting myself. I don't like that we've all gone for them. Considering it's so tight, like it's surprising that all four of us are backing them, but I don't know. And now we can put everything into the 2026 Nations Championship, which is what, every, what it's all about now. Once this World Cup is over, we can all focus on the big one. All roads. No quarterfinals in that competition. Yeah, all roads lead to 2026. <laughs> quarterfinals are bad. <laughs> <laughs> the Irish, the Irish rugby team's only request: no quarterfinals. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might, we might pick up on that Nations League next week after the World Cup, and we do maybe a deep dive looking over the tournament as a whole. But for now, I'd like to thank Rory, Luke, and Jonathan for joining me. Hope everyone enjoys the World Cup final. We'll be back later in the week with another podcast previewing in even more depth the big game on Saturday night. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and goodbye. Listen and follow The Left Wing wherever you get your podcasts.